You are listening to The Tish with Rabbi Michael Knopf, a Jcast Network podcast. For more information about Rabbi Michael Knopf, please visit MikeKnopf.com. For more information about other Jcast Network podcasts and blogs, please visit jcastnetwork.org. Shabbat Shalom. The longtime pastor of the First Baptist Church in Lincoln was slated to retire. So the president of the church convened a search committee and charged the chair of the search committee to survey the congregation and find out what kind of pastor they would like to find and hire to replace their beloved pastor who was retiring. So the search committee chair went and polled the congregation, took many weeks and months, did his homework, and then compiled a list and brought it back to the president. And he said, here is what the congregation is looking for in a new pastor. We want someone with 30 years of experience. We want someone who is no older than 25. (laughs) We want someone who will work for the congregation 24 hours a day, seven days a week. We want someone who will set a good example to the members of the church by spending ample time with his family. We want someone who will come in and change everything just as long as he leaves everything exactly as it is. We want someone who has a great sense of humor, but he also needs to be very serious. We want somebody who is great with the little kids. We want somebody who needs to know how to relate to the oldest members of the congregation. And he goes on through this list, and the president finally stops him and says, you know, I, I have to stop, it's a great list, it would be a great pastor that we could find that, have, that has all those characteristics, but I have to tell you that I don't even think Jesus Christ himself would match up to that list. And the, and the search committee chair says, oh yeah, that reminds me, I also wanted to add, no messiah complexes. <laughs> It's a story that many of us maybe are familiar with, especially those of us who have been involved in search committees looking for uh, rabbis uh, or other professionals, that uh, you end up hoping that you're going to find the perfect candidate and you're met with the reality that there's actually no such thing as a perfect person, an ideal person. There's only real people and real leaders who each have their own unique constellation of skills and talents and abilities, weaknesses, things that they bring to the table. It's a lesson that is borne out for me in this week's parasha. First of all, it's a parasha that deals over and over again with leadership and its successes and failures. We see, most importantly, a major failure of Moses' leadership. But that's not exactly what I want to focus on. What happens in this week's Torah portion is that uh, the community reaches the wilderness of Sin and Miriam. Moses and Aaron's sister dies, and immediately after, the Torah tells us that the community was without water. They had no water to drink. And the rabbis of the Midrash 
make a connection between those two stories. They say the reason the community had no water to drink was because the water existed, a well came with the Jewish people through the wilderness on account of Miriam. And later in the Torah portion, Aaron passes away. And immediately after Aaron dies, the community is attacked. And not only is the community attacked, but the attacker is able to capture some captives from the Jewish people. And the rabbis of the Midrash make a connection between those two stories as well. They say that the reason that the nation was able to be attacked was because the Ananei HaKavod, the clouds of glory that encircled and protected the Israelites in the wilderness, existed on account of Aaron. Aaron brought that protection to the people. And at the beginning of the book of Joshua, we read that the manna ceased. And if you remember, Moses dies at the end of the book of Deuteronomy, just before the book of Joshua begins, and the rabbis of the Midrash make a connection between that too. They say that the manna existed on account of Moses. A great commentary that I read this week, the grand, unnamed person other than the grandson of the Khatam Sofer, asks a great question. Why is it that the water and the clouds of glory and the manna couldn't have all existed on account of Moses. After all, Moses was God's chosen leader. Moses was the head of the people. And indeed, we're told later on, uh, according to the Talmud, that Moses was able to bring back the things that were left behind by, Mo by Miriam and Aaron. So why couldn't Moses, just at the beginning, have all of these qualities, bring all of these things to the people? And his answer is as follows. Moshe, Aharon, the Miriam, Kolechad Mehem, Hidrichuetaam, Bedavar, Miuchad. Moses, Aaron, and Miriam, each one of them led the nation in their own special way. Miriam, Horatav, Hidrichat, Anashim. Miriam taught and led the women. Aharon, Shatab, Amet, Midat, Hashalom, Vahachva. Aaron taught the people, or instilled in the people, the characteristic of peace and brotherhood. And Moses planted within them the Torah. I've been thinking a lot this week and in recent weeks about that idea. That every leader in any context, in any community, brings with them, or him or her, their own unique, as my friend Rabbi Abe Friedman, who's a rabbi in Chicago, their own unique constellation of skills and talents and abilities, their own values, their own way that they want to lead. And I've been thinking over the past few weeks about what it is that drives me as a rabbi, what it was, looking back at it and taking a step out of it, what it was that I was hoping to accomplish 
or hoping to bring with me to my leadership such as, as it was uh, at Harzion Temple. And as I was thinking about it, I came upon several values that I hold as fundamental and axiomatic and drive everything that I do. And so I want to share those with you because it might give you insight into where I was coming from and what I was uh, trying to do and where my ideas came from and what drove me during my time here and what continues to drive me. And they're as follows. The first is inclusion. I believe that the two most fundamental teachings of the Jewish tradition is that each and every human being was created in the divine image and is in the image of God and that as the rabbis teach us in the Talmud Gadol Kevod Habriyot Mi Isor Batorah that human dignity is greater even than a prohibition in the Torah. In other words, Judaism exists for the sake of people and each individual person and not the other way around. We don't exist to serve Judaism. Judaism exists to serve us. That means that each and every person matters and ought to have a place within sacred community. That no one ought to be excluded, that everyone ought to be made to feel welcome. And if anybody is not, if anybody feels excluded, if anybody feels on the outside, it means that I as a rabbi and we as a community are not doing our job right. So that's the first thing that drives me. The second thing, which is in some way a little bit contradictory, but I don't think totally contradictory, is that Judaism is communal. It's inclusive, it should be inclusive, and it should be communal. That we are at our best, our tradition says, when we come together for common purpose. When we hold each other in times of need, when we celebrate with each other, each other in times of joy, when we dance together, when we cry together. We are a tradition that doesn't celebrate the holy man or woman who goes off into the wilderness by him or herself and gets an epiphany. We are a tradition that is formed by the story of the Exodus, which is a story of a group of people, a community, a nation, coming out of slavery together, hand in hand, standing at Sinai together, hand in hand, marching into the promised land together, hand in hand, and so what drives me is to make sure that everything that I do enables community to form and to be strengthened. The third is that Judaism is transformative. I don't think that Judaism is an, an entertainment. Something that exists and you come to synagogue and it feels nice and it feels good and it feels comfortable. That's okay. But I think the Torah is a radical text. I think the proposition of Torah is that it should change us and it should inspire us to change the world. That we say it in the Aleinu every day, that we should repair the world under God's sovereignty. And the Torah presents a program, a charge, an inspiration 
for making ourselves better people, and for making the world a better place. It's why central to our observance as a community and most Jewish communities around the world are the holidays of Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur because those holidays fundamentally are about how do I make myself a better person than I am right now. That's the message. That's the charge. And it says that no matter where you are in life, no matter what age you're at, no matter how ingrained your habits are and your attitudes are, no matter what, you have the capacity to change. And no matter how broken the world is, no matter how hard it is to change things, no matter what the obstacles are to making a difference, we have the ability, we have the power, and we have the responsibility to make this world a better place. Some people from time to time say, Rabbi, I wish you weren't so political from the pulpit. Now, first of all, often what that means is, I wish you were political just that you said the political thing that I agree with. <laughs> And I do not believe that the Torah advocates one particular party or one particular partisan approach. Deeply, I don't believe that. But I do believe that the Torah has a picture of what the world should look like. And the Torah charges us to build that world. Sometimes the charge, as I see it, to build that world will align with one political ideology versus another. That doesn't mean that it endorses that ideology. It just means that it happens to coincidentally align with it. Sometimes that's conservative. Sometimes that's liberal. But the deepest message is that the world needs to change and can change, and we have the ability to do it. And I've always felt that my job as a rabbi was to help move people toward making the world a better place. The fourth thing is that Judaism should be dynamic. We are commanded to birth novelty into the world. We are in a living, breathing, evolving tradition that Judaism today isn't the same as Judaism was a hundred years ago or a thousand years ago, and God willing, Judaism won't be the same a hundred years from now or a thousand years from now. And that is exactly as it should be. And that's exactly as we need it to be. That doesn't mean that tradition is bad. Tradition is the foundation. Tradition is the framework from which we can birth novelty into the world. But a community and a person that isn't moving forward is fading away. And so I believe deeply that Judaism demands dynamism and novelty. And the fifth and final pillar that has driven me is that Judaism should be joyful. We have a lot of sad tropes in our tradition. But ultimately, I think that the words of Ecclesiastes are a great call for what it means to be a Jew. We can't necessarily solve all the world's ills. We can't necessarily solve the fact that one day we are going to, God forbid, die and be forgotten. But what we can do is make sure that we enjoy the world in which we live, 
and that we celebrate the life that we have. That, I think, is a deeply religious value and something that is profoundly ingrained within Judaism. And so it's been my hope and my goal during my time here to demonstrate and to show and to lead and to inspire each and every one of you the joys and the celebrations that can come with a life of devotion and connection, spirit, tradition, and Torah. The impression that we're given off from our Torah portion is that when Miriam died, then the well went away. When Aaron died, then the clouds of glory went away. And so it leaves the sense that once a leader goes, what that leader brought to the table, what that leader offered, what that leader cared about, doesn't matter anymore or goes away with that person. But the grandson of the Chatham Sofer adds another dimension. Because he brings in the, a passage from the Talmud that says those three things that the three leaders of the Jewish community in the wilderness that they gave, eventually Moses was able to learn and was able to replicate and was able to give back to the people. So if the vision of Judaism that drives me resonates with you, my prayer is that as I leave to take on leadership of a new community, that those values continue to stay with this community and continue to inspire and drive you as well. Indeed, they were shaped and inspired from each and every one of you in this room. I thank you for three incredible, transformative years of my life. I can't tell you how <laughs> profound a blessing it has been to be the rabbi of this community and to have my family as part of this community. And I bless you that Harzayan continues to move from strength to strength. And I continue to hear of the incredible things ahead for this community. I feel incredibly blessed. I feel incredibly lucky. And I take with me all of the love and all of the relationships and all of the friendships that I made here. And I'll carry with them, them with me for the rest of my life. Shabbat Shalom. <laughs>